we're going to continue this series called 72, Three Days That Change Everything, and we're going to think about what we, what we come out of Easter with, right? So we, we spend a lot of time before Easter getting ready for Easter, and Easter's a big day, and then it's like it's over. That's that. But that's not how Easter works at all. As a matter of fact, Easter is best understood by looking back to what actually happened. And last week we talked about the realization the disciples went through that experience of not knowing what had happened, all that, and then looking back and realizing after the, the crucifixion and the resurrection that Jesus is God, right? So that's what we talked about the first week. That's the, the base message we get from Easter is that Jesus is God and that he's like us but not like us because he's God. And because of that, we remember and celebrate Easter and uh, uh, that was our first week that we learned together. Now, this week, we're going to pick up right at the end of where we left off last week. Um, we're going to pick up in Luke 10, verses 44 and 45. And so I'm going to turn there. If you have a Bible, hopefully you grabbed it, and you can flip it open. I would encourage you to look at it for yourself. And this is Jesus. And we talked about this last week. You know, we kind of just read through it and got to the last part where they worship Jesus. But now we're going to come back and kind of, this is going to form the, this week and next week in the sermon series together, right? So this is going to really form what we realize Easter is about and what we get from Easter. Jesus being God is the primary thing. And without that, everything else is meaningless. If Jesus is not God, none of this other stuff we're going to discuss matters. But because he is these are the gifts, the blessings, the, the things that we receive from Easter. So this is what the word says in Luke 24, verse 44. He said to them, this is after the resurrection, right? And after he ate with them, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the psalms and so if you don't know the law of moses and the prophets and the psalms is the old testament right stories and so jesus like all these things had to be fulfilled that were written about me and now we're going to read on a little more here then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures and so we talked about that a little bit but I, we're going to start there today and then we're going to read some more in luke here but that's what we need this morning right? We need to realize that the Easter story is a culmination of all the promises that were made to the people of God all the way up until Christ's death and resurrection. And his, his teaching immediately upon resurrection is, these are the things I told you had to happen to get us to where we are right now. And then we're going to kind of live out of that reality. And I wanted to read those two verses as we get started this morning, because the second thing there in verse 45, it says, then he opened their minds that they could understand the scriptures. Why would I point that out? Because that's why we pray. We're going to pray that very prayer this morning for you and for me, right where you are, right where we are, right what we're experiencing, that God would open our minds to the scriptures, that he would explain the things that he's written and recorded and preserved for us that we, you and I, could understand them in real ways. So pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning and a chance to be together and worship you. We thank you for your church globally that is celebrating you in spite of circumstance because you are worthy. You are worthy to be praised and celebrated. We pray, Father, this morning that you would indeed open our minds to the truth of your scriptures, that they would, it would not be just a book, but it would be revelation to us, and that we would be changed because of that. Father, only you can do this work, and you promise to do it, and you love to do it, and we love to learn from you. So would you be our teacher this morning? Would you instruct us in our hearts? Um, give us open minds to, to uh, understand, and hearts to believe, and then lives to live it out. Father, would you change us because of who you are? And Lord, if there's one prayer, I, I really really want to press into this morning is that we would draw into a deeper intimacy with you, that we would know all the more who you are and why that matters in our lives. 
now and forever. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, cool. So we're gonna continue uh, this morning then in the things that come out of Easter. I told you we're gonna continue to work through this passage. And right after verse 45, we have verse 46. That's how that works, right? And it says this. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, right? That's what we already celebrated in Easter. Here's 47. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so I just wanna stop there for a minute and talk about, this is what we're talking about today, that, that right after resurrection, after all the Old Testament things are fulfilled, the truth is that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached, it means proclaimed. You know, people say, well, you're a preacher. Yeah, I'm a preacher, but we're proclaimers of repentance and forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus says is gonna happen and, and will be done so in his name. I wanna spend a little bit of time on that word repentance this morning, right? Repentance. It, it, we tell a, a whole bunch here at Family Bible Church, but it means turning away from evil, turning away from the things of our life that we tend to worship and distract us from God and turning back toward him that we would worship. So it's repentance and forgiveness of sins that will be preached in Jesus' name. You might recall that Jesus himself, when he was with his disciples, he was telling everyone, repent because the kingdom of God is near, Right, So there's already called repentance being had. And even before that, John the Baptist said, repent for your sins and be baptized, right? So there's this repentance, making itself ready for Christ for those first century Jews. But now we have Jesus saying, the repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached, and not just preached, but preached in his name. This is gonna be, by the way, for you blast students, this is our first um, kind of front side of our paper here. So if you had that paper, I had you draw those three circles. There's a really simple understanding of what it means to sin. And we're gonna draw on this front what it means to sin, but it might not be what you expect, right? These three circles are like an archer's target. You ever seen one of those? Maybe you have a dartboard, maybe you have a game in your house where there's a circle in the middle, you try to hit the center circle, but then there's a bigger circle and a big circle, right? Do you ever throw things at it and you just hope to hit the board? You know, you ever, for the first time, you're gonna play a game, you don't know how you're gonna play? Well, the word for sin is hamartia, and it means to miss the mark. It means that if you aren't perfectly scoring, you're failing in some way. And so what I want you to draw, blast students in the front here, is I want you to draw a little guy or a little girl down here with a bow and arrow, okay? So we're gonna draw an archer in this lower corner. You're gonna draw a bow in, a bow in his hand or her hand, and then some arrows, and I want you to stick some arrows in that, in that target. Just some, stick some arrows in there, wherever. And you might draw a tree next to it and stick some arrows in the tree. That's about how I shoot, usually. Or maybe the ground. The ground loves when I shoot. The ground ends up there almost every time. By the way, uh, camp, be praying for camp. I'm not sure what's going on with camp this summer, but you know we do archery at camp, and I hit the grass every time, <laughs> every time when we're doing that. So draw that picture for us, and that's gonna be a picture of what it means to try to get things right and keep getting it wrong. That's what Jesus said is that this will be preached in his name. The forgiveness of missing the mark will be proclaimed in his name. And not only that, but it'll be proclaimed to all nations, right? We talked this morning about the church globally, that this gospel message that people who are messing up, who are failing one another is being preached all over the world, right? Right now you can't turn a TV on without seeing people point fingers at each other. They failed. No, you failed. No, you failed. Maybe I failed. Well, I think we all failed, right? And that's what sin is, is failing one another and failing God. 
and failing to recognize who he is in this life. And so that's all sin, and we, can, we all do that. We all do that. And so there's plenty of people to blame uh, when we look for people to point to in failure. But this is going to be preached, this then what? Repentance and the forgiveness of sins is going to be preached in his name to all nations, right? And this is what we come to call the gospel, so last week I said Jesus is God is the fundamental building block that we learn from resurrection story of Jesus, right? That God raised them from the dead. But then the, what we gain, and this is probably where you thought we maybe start, is the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And so I want to talk about that this morning. So we'll go ahead and turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be looking at 15, 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to study verses 1 through 7 this morning together. Because I want to ask, ask the question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And I know if you've been in church a while, you're probably like, oh, I know what the gospel is. I, I hope you never get bored thinking about the truth of the gospel. <laughs> like, I hope you're never like, ah, oh, yeah, I, I know, I know, I know. I've heard it a thousand times. Because it's so profound that we ought to always be in awe of that gift we get at Easter of the gospel. So what is the gospel? Let's read it together here in verse, chapter 15, verse one. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I proclaimed to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. I'm gonna stop right there with those two verses and talk about that. I, I wrote down in my notes here, that's Paul's preamble to the gospel, right? He's writing to the church in Corinth. I know if you've been at Family Bible for a while, we just studied the book of 1 Corinthians. We studied this passage recently, but it's important to go back and see what he's saying there to the church. And he says, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news that I proclaimed to you, right? That's what Paul taught them, which you received. So that's the first thing you've received that and on which you've taken your stand. And, 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 and then there's one final thing here. Um, by that gospel, you're saved if you hold firmly to it. So there's three kind of actions that are associated with the gospel. And the first is that you would receive the gospel. It means that you would just have open hands and you would receive this good news that Paul proclaimed, that the church proclaims, and indeed that Jesus said would be proclaimed in his name, that you'd be open to receiving that good news. We're talking about what it is in a minute. But that's the, our posture is to receive it. And the second is to take a stand. It means to occupy that space or to own it, right? To stand in the gospel, to not just receive it, but to have a place where you say, this is gospel ground. I, I belong here. It belongs to me. I, I'm, I'm purchased for this purpose, if you will, right? This gospel purpose. You take your stand in it. And then it says, because it, and those, by the way, are continually, so if you continually receive it and you continually stand in it, those actually in the Greek are not uh, one and done kind of words, right? It's a, it's a pro progressive, is that the right word? A continual is probably the better word. A continual receiving, a continual standing in the hope of Jesus Christ in the gospel that he brought us at Easter, and then what's it say? That by that receiving and by that standing, you are being saved. That's an active process for us in this life. And many times we have experiences in life and we say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? You are being saved, church. If you, if you this morning don't know Christ as Savior, but you feel like, yeah, there's more to this. Let me tell you, you are being saved by this gospel. He's inviting you in to receive it, to stand in it. 
And then Paul makes this qualifying statement, which I find really interesting. He says, if you hold firmly to the word preached to you. I'm like, now that's interesting. If you hold firmly. So we have this idea that um, you, if you don't, that you end up, uh, what would it be? Like, um, binding yourself, right? Uh, it means to like, like a rope, like to steer a ship, to, to pull against the wind, right? To, to hold fast, that's the word, to hold fast to this gospel. So not only are you receiving it continuously, and not only are we standing in it continuously, but we are binding ourselves to it. We're like wrapping ourselves around the mass of the boat because we're going where the gospel goes. And so that's those three kind of parts of the gospel experience that we get from Easter. By the way, have you noticed? Paul hasn't said anything to define the gospel yet. But that's your gospel experience. He says, I've taught this. You've believed it. You've received this. You've, you've stood in it, and you've bound yourself to it. And if you've done those things, otherwise, your belief is in vain. So, it's, so there's a really funny thing there, right? Like, if you aren't experiencing the gospel, if you aren't binding yourself continuously, not back there that one time, that one moment in your life, but actively every day waking up and going, where are we going to go today? Then you're believing in vain. That means you're believing without effect, right? That, that you've just got head knowledge and no life experience. So that's all the preamble to the gospel that Paul introduces here. But now let's get into this. So this is what Jesus talked about. Paul says this in verse 3. Because what I received, Paul got it himself, I passed on to you as of first importance, or the first thing I taught you, Paul says, is this gospel. Here it is. That Christ, that's Messiah, died for our sins according to scriptures, and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve and after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. In verse 7, then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born, right? So, so Paul starts out with the gospel of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and he says, and basically there's four parts to this. He says he died according to scriptures. He was buried. This is the Easter story. He was raised to new life according to scriptures, and he appeared to a bunch of people, even me. I would make a case that that sequence of events is still true for us today. That fourth step is he reveals himself even to us today. This is the ongoing ministry of the gospel. So let's talk about those components then of it. The first thing it says that this is the first importance, so the primary thing you know is that Christ died for our sins. This is the forgiveness of sins. This is why he died to forgive us. If you're a blast kiddo and you're drawing along, go ahead, you probably got your archer done and your arrows in the front page. I want you to open the page up now and I want you to draw in here, but I don't want you to put anything in this target. Don't put anything in the target. And you can draw a picture of Jesus here, right? And I want you to realize that Jesus perfectly did this target thing for us and then the rest of the page, you can draw Jesus, yourself, some friends, whoever you want to draw. And the rest of the page, I want you to draw the most beautiful place you can imagine. Okay, I'm going to get you a little ahead. Draw the most beautiful place you can imagine on that inside sheet. 
So that's what Jesus proclaims, the forgiveness of sins. This is what Paul says that he preached as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Just like Jesus said, all these things must happen according to the prophets and according to the law of Moses. This is the fulfillment of scripture that we have been given. Um, he, was, he died for our sins according to scripture and he was buried right, in the Easter story, and then he was raised on the third day, and again, that was according to scriptures. I don't know if you remember it, but there was a, we're gonna get into a couple Old Testament stories today, but there was an Old Testament prophet named Jonah, right, and Jonah was called to go and to preach repentance to the town of Nineveh, and then he gets, he disobedient in that, and he gets swallowed up, and I only missed that because there was one point in Jesus' ministry where the, the Jewish people were saying, give us a sign, give us a sign, we'll believe you're the Messiah. And he said, you will have no sign but this, the sign of Jonah. What is that? Three days in a tomb and spit out on a beach. Jesus wouldn't spit out on a beach, right? He was raised from the dead after being crucified on the cross for our sins. And so we have the crucifixion of Jesus for our sins, we have his burial, and then we have his resurrection to new life according to scriptures, again, fulfilling all the scriptures. And then he appeared to many, including me. I wanna, I wanna sit on this for a minute and talk about the forgiveness of sins and why this is such a powerful gift in Easter. If, if I wanna say this again, if you are not amazed at the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't think you fully understand it. What does it mean to be forgiven for missing the mark, that target we keep shooting at? What does it mean to, that we can't even hit the, the side of it? We can't even hit the edge of it. We keep shooting and we're just, oh, we can't get it figured out. Have you ever felt that way in this life? No matter what you aim at, you miss. No matter how hard you try, you can't get there. He says that, the, that we're gonna preach the forgiveness of sins, all those missing misses in the name of Jesus Christ. This is a radical forgiveness of sins. Let me unpack it a little bit. This means that Jesus died for the sins of all those who were aspiring to be righteous before he came to earth. That on the cross, in that moment, he died for the sins for all the people before him who were believing in Messiah. And that's a key component. If you read Hebrews 11, it says they died in faith. By faith, they did this. By faith, they did that. Because they believed that God was gonna make way because they knew their own imperfection. They knew the lack of satisfaction. No matter how hard they tried, they couldn't get it exactly right. But they believed that God was gonna keep his promises with them in some radical way through this one anointed called the Messiah, the very Son of God. And so we have this radical kind of um, historic redemption of sin. And then we have this redemption of the ongoing sin in our lives, right? And, and so like maybe today you're gonna try and you're gonna mess up. That's this gift that Christ gives us in the gospel that we are forgiven even as we're, we're making mistakes, we're missing the mark. Now it's not to say that we stop aiming, not to say we stop trying, but to say when we aim, we try, we know that ultimately our hope is in Christ and not in our ability to, to hit the target, right? And so we have this gift that even, so our historic sins for the people, but in our own personal lives, our historic sins are forgiven. And this is often how you hear the gospel preached, you know? You, you know you're a sinner, right? I mean, I, mean, I know I'm a sinner. And, and so we preach a gospel that says, you know you're a sinner, you admit you're a sinner, you believe in Christ, and, and you receive salvation. And he saves us in spite of our sin. But here's the truth. We still sin. 
We don't continually go back to the same sin, like the Bible says, like a dog to it returns to its vomit, right? That's pretty graphic. We don't go back and just keep living in that, but, but we're bound to screw up again and again. And this gospel comes to us. Listen, church, what does it say? Stand in it continually, right? Receive it continually. Bind ourselves up with it continually because we need the gospel every day of our lives to go forward. And, and then here's the most more equally radical thing. The sins we have yet to commit. Because, you know, practically, if I'm telling you we're still committing sins, it means we still have sins that, I don't know what sins can be next week. And I want to say that one of the great privileges of the gospel is to say, even when we think, oh, I should have known better. Oh, I tried so hard. Oh, I didn't try at all. Whatever it was, right? That in that moment, we can apply the gospel to our lives and believe the good news that Christ is perfection for us, that we can be perfect in him, right? that we get this great exchange at Easter, the radical forgiveness of sins. This is the first and most important thing that Paul preached. Matter of fact, he preached it so practically and so passionately that people said, so what, should we sin all the more so we get more grace? And he's like, no way, that's not what I'm saying at all. But no matter how much you sin, there's more grace. But don't go out sinning on purpose. So, I mean, you know he was a radical believer in radical forgiveness. This is what he believed, that Christ died for our sins according to scripture, that he was buried and raised on the third day, and then he appeared to us as those who are abnormally born. It means he shows up in our life in real ways, church. I don't know if you know that today, if you have that experience. And maybe today you're like, I need God to show up in that way. I need him to come into my life in a, in a real tangible way. I'm gonna ask you to ask, pray that prayer in faith. All right, I need you to intervene here. I need to know you more. I told you that was my, when we prayed this morning, you know, may we draw into deeper relationship. May we, when you know the gospel all the more, and I'm including myself in this, right? That we can realize that he has perfect, perfectly hit that target that we could never hit in Christ. So we have this gift of radical forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future, right? He forgives the sins of anyone who would repent, right, and believe the good news. It's a gift. I want to say one more thing before I move on. You know, it's a hard thing sometimes for Christians because kind of like Jonah, we want God's grace for us but not for others. Like we want to apply all that, yeah, God, I need your grace. Oh, God, I'm so glad you and I, I know you so well. But then we see that person, all those people, and we go, I don't want, I don't save them. You know, Jonah's complaint at the end of it all with God. I knew you would save them. I knew if I proclaimed repentance that you would save these people because you're full of mercy. That was his great complaint, that they got the same grace that he got. I hope we're not like that as Christians. Oh, God, that you would call us to repentance and the forgiveness of sins, that we would celebrate and joy, enjoy for that forgiveness, the radical forgiveness. And I want to tell you something, church. I hope and I, am, I pray by the, by the power of God that you would be emboldened to be communicators of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would say, in Christ, you're forgiven. Believe, receive that good news, stand in it, bind yourself to it. Your sins are forgiven. I know I have friends that need to hear that over and over again. They just can't quite believe that their sin is bought by Jesus. Such a gift. So then I had you guys drawn that picture of the missing. Now the rest of the beautiful picture, and here it is. What is the gospel? The gospel's forgiveness of sins and it's eternal life. It's eternal life. 
Um, I want to talk about uh, this dude, uh, Nicodemus. And you remember he went in John 3, he goes to Jesus and he says, hey, what must I do? I shouldn't call him a dude because he's a Pharisee. He's like a really holy guy, right? I'm not trying to bring him to my level. But he goes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says these words, you must be born again, born anew, right? And this is Jesus teaching Nicodemus. You remember last week we talked about Nicodemus was there when Jesus was buried with Joseph, right? Um, that that G, the Nicodemus was one who prepared his body for the grave. And so in that moment, and I wanted to share with you this most um, beautiful plan and beautiful place that we have is then we find that in the middle of that teaching and Nicodemus coming to Jesus, well, how can I be born again? How does that work? What does that look like? And Jesus says this, because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever should believe would, have, would not perish, but have eternal life, right? And so it's pretty wild to think about, it, but Jesus is there in front of Nicodemus, in, and he's talking about himself, right? And he's like, because God so loved the world, that's all, that's new Nicodemus and everyone else, that he gave his only son, that would be Jesus, in front of Nicodemus, that anyone who believes in Jesus would not perish, but get life forever. So we have two things, I think they're intimately connected and we can't hardly unbind these things. And the first is that we're forgiven our sins and that's, that's the qualification for being with God forever is be sinless, right? Because God is sinless. And so we inherit the sinlessness of God and we get to be adopted into his family in this life and then we get eternal life forever. That's the gift of Easter. In this crazy time we're living in, one thing I'm convinced of is as believers in Christ, we should not fear death, <laughs> We're not out there trying to make it happen, but we're not afraid of it. The, the world has never, since we've known Christ, ruled over us that, that, that we might die. That curse is gone in Christ. The curse that was put upon all humanity is removed in Jesus Christ, and we have eternal life. Listen to me. Anyone who believes in Jesus will not perish, but will have life forever, and that's the great gift of Easter. So we have those two things, right? Forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Now, I, I told you I'm gonna tell a couple of Old Testament stories here because what do we celebrate at Easter? Jesus did something at Easter that was really radical. He repurposed the Passover meal. You remember before he was going to Jerusalem, he's like, we're gonna go celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem, right? And um, the Passover j had just, just happened in our own real time, in real time right now, right? The same celebration. And he said, I'm gonna repurpose that. And uh, he told the story at table with his disciples. He broke bread and told the story of the Passover. But I wanna remind you of three kind of broad looks we get at Passover that Jesus repurposes in Easter that tells us a story of forgiveness of sins and a gift of eternal life. And the first is this. You've heard the story of Noah, right? I mean, the world was so wicked. I happen to be reading that right now in Genesis. The world is so wicked that God says, I can't stand it anymore, but he finds one family, Noah and his family. He says, I'm gonna preserve you, and I'm gonna preserve all the animals of the earth, but everything else I'm gonna wipe out. And you, you know the story, right? So Noah goes out, and people think Noah's nuts, and he gets all the animals into the boat, and all the things he needs to feed the animal. And it's a boat, I mean a big, you know, like ship. He gets everyone in this. There's not even water around. What's going to happen? And then it starts to rain. And it rains, and it rains, and it rains. And then people begin to realize they're not ready for this. They aren't prepared. The disasters come. They weren't ready for the day. And Noah and his family and the animals that God preserves in his holy covenant and his promise 
get raised above it all, and you literally see the ark. There's still a fascinating thing that you see in our culture about how can we preserve life, right? There's a, even when people know it, how, we, how do we save life? Because there's this idea that you put people on an ark and you preserve them for the future. That's what God did with Noah and his family. And the tragic part of that story is a bunch of people weren't ready and they got wiped out, but God preserved Noah and his family. Here's a second look then. It comes later in Israel's history, right? And it's that Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. And this is where the Passover meal is established, right? And he says, hurry up quick. You know, you paint your doorpost, the, it's gonna pass over you, but then you're gonna get out of there. You're gonna leave slavery. And God, lead, God leads the Israelites out of slavery into the promised land. So Israelites gain freedom in the Passover, and when you sit down and you have the meal, you're reminded this is what we, we've been given in Christ, that, that we have been oppressed in slavery, but God has delivered us from that slavery. And even our friends who just celebrated Passover still celebrate that meal in that way. Do you remember that time that God saved us from our enemy? Do you remember that time he preserved us? And so that's the second. And definitely when Jesus is breaking the bread, right, he's telling that story. But I told you that he's repurposing or redirecting or re-aiming or completing the Passover meal in himself. And here, this is where we get this idea that Jesus brings us not by ark and not by uh, uh, only, not by you know, preservation of life only and not by um, removal from slavery to freedom only, but he preserves us uh, in the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That just like the people got on the boat and they're saved, just like the Israelites got to go across, walk on dry land, and the enemy was crushed behind them, in the same exact way, you and I get to walk through this door of death into eternal life, preserved by God himself. And this is where we get the words for the communion meal that Jesus repurposes, and we're gonna talk about that in a moment. But before we do, I wanna, I wanna ask this question. Do you know Jesus in this way? Do you know him in such a powerful way that when the storms of life come, you're on the boat with him? Do you know him in such a way that whenever the slavery comes, the oppression comes, you realize, oh my gosh, how are we ever gonna get out of this world of sin and death? Sin and death, or sin and debt, might be a way to say it too, right? That he is making a path for us if we're with him. Do you know Jesus in a way that you have forgiveness of your sin original sin, sins you commit, sins you're committing, and sins you're gonna commit, and you are guaranteed eternal life. See, we have some things to do. Receive that, stand in that, and then bind ourselves to it. Hold fast to the gospel. I'm gonna pray right now, and if you don't know, know those things, I'm gonna pray that you would know them, so pray with me. Father God, I thank you so much for your good word, for the way that you reveal yourself through the simplicity of the gospel and through this opportunity you give us to receive, stand, and bind ourselves to you. I pray, Lord, that if we've not made that commitment on our own lives, that you breathed into us, if we've not recognized you for who you are and bound ourselves to you and to your gospel, Indeed, Lord, if we've not believed it in the most simple way, Jesus, I need you. I, I'm tired of doing this on my own. I'm tired of being afraid. I'm tired of the world shaking, you know, shaking me up all the time. I want to know you and be, be found in you. Father, that would be our prayer today. That we would pray that prayer to know Jesus so intimately that we're always with him, that we bind ourselves to him, and that the world can do nothing to cause us to shake and quake and fear. May you be glorified for, for friends who need to know your forgiveness. I pray they would know it. Lord, right now, for the person who thinks, 
That sin, though, not that sin. I want them to know, yes, that sin, Father, that there's no sin that you have not overcome in the blood of your Son and our Savior, Jesus, that he died for all of them and for all of us who would believe and receive him. May you be glorified as your church repents and believes good news. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.